Chapter 16 of Esther Reed Yet Speaking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed Yet Speaking by Pansy. Chapter 16. Here was his opportunity. But the question which would keep forcing itself on Gracie Dennis was this. If he really knows of nice books, full of the beautiful and the ennobling, that would enlighten the race, as he has often told me, why doesn't he mention some of them now? There is no minister here, trammeled by long years of narrowing education. How does he know but that these people are as advanced in their ideas as he is himself? I do not mean that she was conscious of thinking these thoughts, but that they hovered on the edge, as it were, of her mind, making her feel ill at ease. Dr. Everett, on his part, seemed courteously bent on securing an expression of the professor's opinion about matters of which he either could not or would not talk. When at last the disturbed gentleman resolved to violate what Gracie was sure was a law of good breeding, and address her in French, what with her embarrassment lest others should understand, and her own marked ignorance of the language, she found great difficulty in making a free translation. Upon my word, I wish you understood French, or some other tongue, so that we could escape from this boredom. Does the poor little prisoner have much of this to endure? Cannot we escape to the music-room and talk things over? Gracie cast a frightened glance about her to see if there were others who understood better than herself this sentence, which, for aught she knew, might contain something startling but Alfred was busily engaged in looking up the name of a book which he had vainly tried to recall, and Dr. Everett was apparently serenely oblivious to any language but his mother tongue. Very soon after this, Gracie managed to escape with her collar to the music alcove. Thus much of the French she had understood, and at least Professor Ellis could play, which fact she resolved that the people in the front parlor should speedily understand. Ah, but he could play! and herein lay one of his strong fascinations for the music-loving girl. For a time the most ravishing strains rolled through the parlor, hushing into rapt attention the group gathered there, who had just been reinforced by the coming of Mr. Roberts. By degrees the strains grew fainter and fainter, and at last ceased altogether, as the professor, still on the music-stool, bent over Gracie, seated in a low chair, and apparently found fluent speech at last. Mrs. Roberts, meantime, was ill at ease. What would Dr. Dennis and Marion say, could they have a peep at this moment into her back parlor? Was she being faithful to her trust? Yet what was there she could do? She tried to sustain her part in the conversation, but her troubled gaze, constantly wandering elsewhere, betrayed her. Dr. Everett's keen eyes were upon her. "'Are you particularly interested in that man?' he asked abruptly. Mrs. Roberts smiled faintly. I am particularly interested in that girl, she said. How do you like her present companionship? Not at all, she answered quickly. Whereupon Mr. Roberts began to question. May I know, doctor, whether you have any other reason than that of intuition for asking the question? Possibly not, the doctor said guardedly. It may be a case of mistaken identity. Mrs. Roberts, would you like to have me investigate something that may be to his disadvantage? Mrs. Roberts had a prompt answer ready. There are reasons why it is specially important that such an investigation should be made and reported to me. May I commission you? The doctor bowed, and the subject of Professor Ellis was immediately dropped. 
During the following week certain innovations took place in Mrs. Roberts' well-ordered household. At the end of the conservatory was a long, bright, and hitherto unfurnished room. It had been designed as a sort of second conservatory, whenever the beauties of that department should overgrow their present bounds, but meantime other plants had taken root and blossomed in the mistress's heart. Early in this week the unused room had been opened and cleaned, then began to arrive packages of various shapes and sizes, a roll of carpeting and two young men from the carpet store, and there followed soon after the sound of hammering. Furniture wagons halted before the door, leaving their burdens. Men and women flitted to and fro, busy and important. It was Saturday night before Mr. Roberts and his young clerk were invited in to admire and criticize the new room. Mr. Roberts, at least, was prepared to appreciate its transformation. The floor was covered with a heavy carpet in lovely shades of mossy green, and easy chairs and couches in tints that either matched or made delightful contrasts with the carpet abounded. The walls were hung with pictures and charts and maps. A study table occupied the center of the room, one of those charming tables, full of mysterious drawers and unexpected corners. Paper and pens and inks in various colors were disposed about this table in delightful profusion. Other tables, plenty of them, small and neat, each of a different shape or design, were stationed at intervals, in convenient proximity to comfortable chairs. Nothing could be further removed from one's idea of a schoolroom than was that long, beautiful parlor. Yet when you thought of it and took a second, deliberate survey, nothing that could have contributed to the enjoyment of pupils was missing. A small cabinet organ occupied an alcove, and music books of various grades were strewn over it. Toward this spot Mrs. Roberts smiled significantly as her eye caught Alfred Reed's, and she said, I have visions of sacred Sabbath evening half-hours connected with this corner one of these days. Meantime, is this a pleasant room for our Monday evenings? But Alfred could not answer her. His head was turned away, and there was a suspicious lump in his throat that made him no better than to attempt speech. He was standing at that moment under one of the wall texts that the gaslight illumined until it glowed, and the words stood out with startling clearness. Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. His sister's text, one that perhaps, more than any other, was on her lips when she talked with him, one that hung at her coffin's head when he, a little boy, stood beside the coffin and looked down at her face, and looked up at that text, and took a mental photograph of both to live in his heart forever. This is your special chair, Mrs. Roberts said, smiling up at him, and he understood her. Here was his opportunity to live out that text for his sister. Wouldn't he try? Well, said Gracie, drawing a long breath, as a study it is certainly a success. One can easily see, Flossie, why you were born with the ability to tell at a glance what colors harmonized and just where things fitted in. I can't imagine anything prettier than this, and I cannot imagine what you are going to do with it whereupon they sat down to talk that important question over, what they were going to try to do. Sometimes I have wondered whether Esther, from her beautiful home, could look down on it all, and whether she smiled over the fact that her work was doing so much more than she had planned. She had roused in her little brother an ambition that had grown with his years, and that had helped to hold him away from many temptations. So much, doubtless, she had foreseen." 
but what a blessed thing it was that she had touched, in those long-ago years, influences which had drawn her brother, in his young and perilous manhood, into intimate relations with such people as Mr. and Mrs. Roberts, so that they sat down familiarly to talk over mutual interests. But for Esther's words spoken long ago, but for her strong desires transmitted to him, he might have sat with a very different circle, and talked over widely different schemes. On the edge of this circle Gracie Dennis hovered. She could not but be interested in their talk, for she was a Christian, and her father was a Christian, and she had, all her life, breathed in the atmosphere of a Christian home. At the same time she could but imagine some of their ideas wild ones, for she had never been associated with people who widely overstepped the conventional ways of doing things, and she had, of late, been much with Professor Ellis, who had a sort of gentlemanly sneer for every phase of Christian work, and, so far as could be discovered, believed in nothing. He had not been outspoken, it is true, and herein lay one of the dangers. He was too skillful to be outspoken, but the subtle poison had been working, and although Gracie could not help being interested in those queer boys, she could not help thinking Flossie's whole scheme exceedingly visionary, and expected it to come to grief. The puzzling question was, why did Mr. Roberts, being a keen-sighted man, permit it all? Or was he too much in love with Flossie that he could not bear to thwart even her wildest flights? It was strange, too, to see a young man like Alfred Reed so absorbed. His sister must have had wonderful power over him, Gracie thought. She went back to his sister's influence always, in trying to explain the matter, and never gave a thought to Christ's influence. Meantime, she listened to the various plans proposed for the first Monday evening, and was sufficiently interested to gather her pretty face in a frown when the distant peal from the doorbell sounded through the house. "'What a pity to be interrupted by a caller!' she exclaimed. "'This room is so much nicer than the parlor. Flossie, don't you hope it is someone to see Mr. Roberts on business?' "'No,' said Mrs. Roberts, shaking her head with a smile. I feel in special need of Mr. Roberts just now. Evan, I really think we must be excused to callers for this one evening. There are so many things to arrange. Let us wait and see, answered Mr. Roberts. Perhaps the Lord sent the caller here to help us, or to be helped. At that moment came the card. Oh, it is Dr. Everett, was Mrs. Roberts' exclamation. Let us have him come directly here. Evan, please go and escort him. You were right. The Lord has sent him to help us. I don't know how, I'm sure, but he is just the man to help everywhere. And the circle instantly widened itself to receive Dr. Everett. It took almost no time to speak the commonplace of the occasion, and get back at once to the business of the hour. It was evident that Dr. Everett needed no lengthy explanations, and there was apparently nothing bewildering to his mind in the plan. True, it was new to him, but he seemed to spring at once to the centre of their thoughts. His eyes glowed for a moment, and he said with peculiar emphasis, Read, when the Son of Man cometh, he will surely find some faith on the earth. Then he gave himself to intensest listening and questioning, and presently followed his questions with suggestions which showed that unconventional ways of working were not altogether new to him. As for Gracie, she had as much as she could do to listen intelligently, she almost caught her breath over the rapidity with which the talkers moved from one scheme to another. 
all the time there was a curious process of comparison between this man and Professor Ellis going on in her mind. Not that she wished to compare the two. She told herself that it was absurd to do so, nonetheless she did it. For instance, she reminded herself that she had mentally assented promptly to the suggestion of inviting the doctor to this room to talk this strange scheme over. She had recognized the fitness of the act. But suppose Professor Ellis should call, would it not be simply absurd to think of explaining to him the uses of this unique room? Who would for a moment think of suggesting his name as a helper? I do not know how to describe to you the appearance of that room on Monday evening when the boys were in it. I do not know whether the sight to you would have been pitiful or ludicrous. How can I tell not knowing you? There was a dreadful incongruity between the soiled ragged clothes and matted hair and unwashed hands and the exquisite purity which prevailed around them. Of course you could have seen that, but the all-important question, the answer to which would have stamped your place in the world's workshop, would have been, do you see any further than that? And seeing further, which way? Do you see the possibilities or the certainties of failure? Oh, no, I am wrong. It would take more than that to tell where you belong. Dr. Everett saw the possibilities and gloried in them. Gracie Dennis thought she saw the certainty of failure and was sorry for it. But Professor Ellis would have seen the certainty of failure and would have met it with a sneer if he had not been too indifferent even for that. As for Mrs. Roberts, did she or did she not represent a different and higher type than any of the others? She thought not much about either success or failure, but pushed steadily forward the plan that she believed she had gotten on her knees, born of the Spirit. If it truly were of God, nothing could make it fail. But if she mistook, and the plan was only hers, mere failure in that direction would signify nothing. She would have but to try again. Something of this she felt, but she did not reason out, for she was no logician. What the boys saw was a great, splendid room, the like of which they had never seen before, for they recognized, without being able to explain, the difference between it and the parlors, and felt freer in it. They all came, and they looked not one whit better than on the Monday evening before. Over this fact Gracie Dennis, with all her public scoffing, was, in private, a little disappointed. It is true she had not expected to see them again, but if they came, she thought it possible that they might have been tempted to appear with clean hands and faces. Possibly some were so tempted, and but for the difficulties in the way, might really have tried for this. But Gracie was not sufficiently enlightened to dream of difficulties in the way of simply washing one's face and hands. During the Saturday evening conference, it had been decided that Mr. Roberts must make acquaintance with his guests. It would never do to have them come familiarly to his house, and he not be able to recognize them on the streets. Several plans were suggested for introducing him skillfully to them, but he disapproved of them all. No, he said, I'll tell you what we'll do. I will introduce myself. You may receive them, Flossie, and then retire for a few minutes, and I'll let myself in by the conservatory passage, and make myself acquainted to the best of my abilities. In ten minutes, Flossie, I'll give you leave to return. As for the rest of you, don't dare to venture in until I have made good my claim as the head of the house. I am jealous of you, perhaps. To this plan Mrs. Roberts readily assented, but the young clerk looked doubtful. 
In common with the rest of his employees, he stood in wholesome awe of the keen-eyed, thorough businessman, who seemed to know, as by a sort of instinct, when anything in any department of the great store was not moving according to rule. His knowledge of Mr. Roberts outside of the store was limited, and he expected to find the boys, if not frightened, so odd that they would resolve never to be caught inside that room again. However, he of course only looked his fears. He was too much afraid of the great merchant to express them, and it had been understood when they separated that this plan was to be carried out. End of chapter 16 Recording by Tricia G.